Well, if you have a Bible, if you would, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to pick up where we left off. We are, of course, continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're currently giving attention to what has been called the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6. We've slowed down a bit to, to look at the prayer, and uh, we're taking it a piece at a time, and what we'll do is next week, next week we'll actually finish up, and we will finish up next week with verse 13. We'll, we'll, we'll actually, three things next week that we'll look at. We'll look at verse 13 to close out the Lord's Prayer. In addition to that, we will, you know, we will take a minute to... For someone asked you know, a couple of weeks ago, what about... You know, in one translation, it has... Um, you know, it, it, ends, it ends one way, and in the other translations, it ends another way. And we'll, we'll take a few minutes to talk about why that is. But we'll also take a few minutes to answer this. Why is it our Father in heaven and not our Mother in heaven? Uh, most of you probably know there's some um, gender, new, new gender Bibles. Um, there's certain segments of the church that um, believe that it is just equally valid to say our Mother in heaven as opposed to our Father in heaven. So why is it? Why is it our Father in heaven and not our Mother in heaven? Or why is it our Father in heaven and not an option of our Father or our Mother in heaven? So we're going to take a few minutes next week to look at that because uh, on one hand, those who hold you know, or, or those who entertain that um, have, some, um, have some pretty clever uh, points that, that, that could easily, easily mislead and, and, and cause some to say, well, maybe. Um, but notice Jesus doesn't give us that option. We, we don't find in the scriptures the father being referred to as father and maybe mother. So we'll talk about that next week. But tonight we're going we're gonna to look at verses um, 11 and 12 and 14 and 15 because 14 and 15 go with those verses. Uh, so as we discovered, the beginning of this prayer is all about God. Uh, notice back in verses 9 and 10, which we've already looked at. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the beginning of this prayer is all about God. And so the question might be this. What might we learn from this? Because this is Jesus giving a model prayer for his disciples. There's, in Luke 11, they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, okay. Here's, here's how to pray. Um, and he begins with it being all about God. So what, what might we learn from that, from that point? That, that the prayer begins, is just first half of it here is just all about God. So what might that teach us? It might teach this, that while our needs and issues are certainly part of prayer, we must not let our needs and issues dominate our prayer. Because tonight we're going to begin looking at the part of the prayer that has to do with our needs, our issues. But let's not miss the fact that the prayer begins, and again, this is Jesus giving us instruction on how to pray, begins with it being all about God. And so our needs and issues are certainly part of prayer. Don't misunderstand me. But they certainly must not dominate our prayer. So this evening we turn to uh, 
our needs and issues, and we see in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We'll start with that. And notice again, we've already talked about this a bit, but notice it says give us our daily bread. It doesn't say give me my daily bread, but give us our daily bread, which as we've already talked about, so don't want to belabor this, but it seems to indicate a concern that others might benefit and prosper as well as ourselves. Uh, you know, we, we looked at this earlier in the prayer, you know, our Father in heaven. In other words, that, that, that our praying is always uh, with, 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 a, with an eye and a concern toward others. And so, you know, I've, I've, you, how many have had this happen before? You're sitting around a table and maybe um, someone's praying before the meal and they might, they might actually bring up, you know, we, we've got an abundance here. But, Father, there are people around the world that don't, probably don't have anywhere near this abundance. And, and so they pray for them. You know, that might be a good example of, of you know, keeping, keep, keeping an eye toward not just ourselves but the needs of others. And so give us our daily bread. Now, the big challenge in this line, in this section, is the word daily. Daily bread. Uh, this is the only occurrence of this word in all of Greek literature. In other words, the, the original language, Greek being Greek, this is the only occurrence of the word in all of Greek language, which means it's going to be a challenge to, to, to so, okay, what does this mean? Now, now it, you, you say, well, it means daily, <laughs> uh, because you know, because that's the English that's the English translation of the word. But I just want to point out first, this this was not an easy challenge for translators. Uh, in fact, linguists today tell us that the word can either mean today's bread or tomorrow's bread. And you, you're already saying, well, wait a minute, it says, give us. Daily bread, okay? But again, just pointing out, that's, that's our English translation, and that is from a, a, a Greek word that is very difficult to translate. Uh, in fact, if you have, I don't know, some of you probably have maybe an English Standard Version, and you'll notice that, how many of you have that, and you see a little letter beside that, okay? Or maybe whatever version you have, Maybe it has a little notation. Mine does here. When it says, give us this daily bread, it has a little number, number four. And so I look down in the margin, and it says this, or our bread for tomorrow. Okay? And so the, the English Standard Version translators, uh, again, picked, picked up this, this, this challenge of, of it being, okay, it, it we're used to it saying our daily bread, but they've, they've acknowledged, I should say, the challenge of this word daily, which can mean daily bread or tomorrow's bread. Now, why, why would they say that? Why would they say that? And here's their explanation. For example, if this prayer is prayed in the morning, it is a prayer for the needs of the day. Give us our daily bread. You're praying, you're praying in the morning. And so it would be, give us this day, our daily bread, the needs of that day. However, 
if this prayer is prayed in the evening. And the assumption here is that, you know, we, we know from Scripture, in the, especially in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that people prayed in the morning and noon and, and evening, okay? And so if this pray, prayer is prayed in the evening, it's a prayer for the needs of the next day. And that explains how it can mean today's bread or tomorrow's bread. hope that's not too confusing. don't want to make a big deal out of it. It's just if, if you have a translation that, that offers an alternative to that, just understand that. That's why because of that word daily. Uh, and again, we've talked about it before. Translators have a monumental task when they go about. I mean, it is not just... You know, some guys down at McDonald's who sit there and go, okay, here's the Greek, you know, here's the, here's the Greek manuscript. Uh, yeah, well, I think it means this, you know. And, and it's, it's, it's much, 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 much more challenging than that. Okay, question. Is bread all we need? Anybody, anybody just have bread today? That's it? But it says, give us this daily bread. Uh, I'm told that you can, you can go more than three weeks without food. But water, how about water? We need water, right? We can't go that long without water, can we? We need water. So we need more than bread. Um, I like bread, but I mean, I think that after some point, I would probably want more than bread, right? Even if it came from Panera, I'd probably want more bread, more than bread. so, So when Jesus says, give us this, our daily bread, bread... It's most likely being used here as a metaphor for the necessities of life, our fundamental needs. You know, just using the word bread as a metaphor. Not, not saying that, hey, all you need to pray for is just bread. Don't, don't, don't need any more than that. Well, we need water. You know, we, there, in other words, there's, there's fundamental basic necessities that we need. So when we pray for bread, it's praying for the necessities of life rather than the luxuries of life. Simply put, it's a request for our Father in heaven to meet our daily physical needs. That's the simplest way to put it. When we pray that, we're praying, Father, you know my daily needs. Give us, give us our daily needs. So there's, there's the word daily, there's bread, but then... There's the word give. Now, let's think about this for a minute because it's, it's a prayer that says, give us this day our daily bread, our, our, our basic needs. Give. Now, what's that look like, okay? D- d- you, could, you could say, that, okay, I, I give me my basic needs and I'll open the front door and out on the porch it, it, it I expect it to be sitting there. I, I, don't, I don't need to turn my hand. I don't need to do anything. Uh, I need just, just, you just give it. Just, just give it. Do you think that's what Jesus means? Probably not, right? See, most people, most, most have to earn their living. It goes like this. Let's take a farmer. A farmer has to do what? A farmer has to plow, okay? Then the farmer must so, okay? and then the farmer must do what? Reap, okay? Uh, so the farmer, farmer doesn't you know, just stay up at the farmhouse and say, 
Father, give me, uh, give me a good crop, meaning that it's just going to pop right out of the ground. Uh, no, there's going to have to be plowing done, there's sowing and reaping. So give here should not be considered as a request to circumvent the ordinary process of sowing, reaping, and working. Um, let, let me, let me j- just to underscore why this is important, if you want to turn there, you can. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, perhaps the, we, we can understand the word give better in light of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 18, what we find there is God is warning the people of Israel, okay, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. But he said, I want to warn you about something. When, when, you, when you get there, you know, it's going to be a, an abundance. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be vineyards you didn't plant. Okay, Vineyards you didn't plant. You didn't have, have to work for this. Houses that were built. You didn't have to work for this. But then he tells them in verse 17, when this happens, he said, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So notice there's a giving, but but here it's it's a giving of power, giving of the ability to, to have these things, to... To, to be able to have these things in our life. God, it, it's really ultimately God giving us the power and the ability. So as we pray this, uh, when, we, when, we, when, we, when we pray this or give, it, it might foster within us a few different things. One, uh, what, 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 what do you think, one, it, what do you think it might foster? And if you, if you, if you pray if we're told to do this, we're told to pray, Father, give me my daily physical needs. Um, as we pray this, what do you, what do you, what are some of the things that might, you might, it, it might foster within our, our, our heart and or in our mind? Can you think of anything? Sure, but as we pray this, as we're as we're told to pray this, and we actually do it, what will this foster over time? Dependence. Dependence, as Deuteronomy said, not not forgetting the Lord, because that was that was the thing God warned. No, you're going to have a tendency. I'm going to have a tendency at times to think I did this, my hard work, you know, my education, you know, my abilities. I I did this. I made this happen, and our our tendency will be, and that's why God said, "Beware, watch out." Uh, we'll have a tendency to think. I did this. So I, so I don't have any dependence upon God. But as we pray this, as we pray this regularly, as this becomes a part of the fabric of our prayer, it, it fosters a daily dependence upon our Heavenly Father. Also, it might also involve a commitment on our part to be God's answer for others in need. Because we're, we're saying, give us. Now, you know that there are people who are unable to plow and so they're, they're unable to work. There are people in our society who really legitimately are disabled, right? And so this, this prayer might foster within us as we pray, give 
us. I'm not the only one that has daily needs. Uh, There are others who have daily. So give us our daily bread. It might awaken, stir within us a commitment to be part of God's giving to meet the needs of others. Now, before we go to the next part of this verse, we need to watch. We need to watch for how this portion of the prayer radiates through the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. I want to give you a few hints. Look, look at, um, look at uh, verse, let me see here, let's see here. Chapter, 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 chapter. Let me, let me find it here. Um, yeah, okay, look at chapter 7. Just looking ahead, we haven't got there yet, but just want, to, just want you to see how, how this prayer, how portions of this prayer is going to show up in, later in this Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 7, verse 9, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or, or which one of you... Uh, if his son asks for bread, uh, will he give him a stone? Look at verse 11. If, 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 then, uh, if you then who are evil uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so see, see again, we're, you know, the, there's, there's the prayer you know, that we, we're looking at, asking the Father to provide for us our basic needs, and it shows up here. Also in verse 32, I'm sorry, when, when I'm, no, I'm sorry, back, back that up, that's chapter 6, okay, chapter 6 in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Uh, verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, we see, see these kind of concerns being dealt with in the prayer. And then in chapter 7, uh, yeah, I already looked at that one. Okay. So th- this is going to, th- these themes are going to show up. This, this same running theme is going to sh- pop up in places in the Sermon on the Mount. So there's the give us this daily bread. That's one of our needs now uh, that we include in our prayers, part of our prayer, our basic daily needs. But then the second part that's found in verse 12, um, we're going to spend the rest of the time here. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now stop here and think with me for a moment. Jesus' disciples come and they say, teach us to pray. Give us some help here and pray. So Jesus has this opportunity now to say, okay, I'm going to teach you the fundamentals of prayer. Starts out with uh, you know, all, being all about God. Then it moves into our daily physical needs. But then he moves into forgiveness. And, and, and not just forgiveness, but you break it down this way. He tells us to pray about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. That's what you think for a minute. Out of all of the things that Jesus could have added in this prayer, he could have left this out and fill in the blank. And, you know, give us this day our daily bread and fill in the blank. Could, could have been anything. But that he would bring up 
forgiveness, in particular, praying regarding our relationship with God and with others, that should speak volumes to us that this is a big deal. This, you know, talking about praying, talking about really just calling out to God and saying, God, here, and Jesus is saying, hey, I think Jesus would be saying this, look, this is a bigger deal. This is a bigger need than you will ever begin to understand the need for forgiveness, a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. So, again, interesting that among all the things that could have been inserted here for consideration, it's forgiveness that is highlighted. So, uh, let me ask you this. You don't have to go into detail by any means. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but do you, do you know people whose well-being, whether it be their mental well-being, their emotional well-being, that has been seriously impaired due to either their own guilt or unforgiveness? Oh, you just nod if you, right? Um, I remember uh, Carl Menninger was a, a psychiatrist who wrote a, a book, if you ever get a chance to read it, entitled Whatever Happened to Sin. And he pointed out, and this, this was his personal belief, but it was based upon hundreds of interviews, uh, psychiatric interviews with, with people who were confined okay, due, due to their mental state. And it was his opinion after all of these interviews, hundreds upon hundreds, he believed that many of these facilities would be virtually emptied if these individuals could find a remedy for their guilt and unforgiveness. That, that, that those, as, as he did the interviews, it was, these things would pop up again and again. Their personal guilt and regret over, you know, I did this, I did this, I did this, and I can't get over it. I can't, I can't seem to find a way forward. Or this person did this to me, and this person did this to me, and I'll never forgive, I'll never forget this thing. The, the truth is, not, not just confined, but there are many people who are, who are free today, walking the streets, going through life, and their well-being is seriously impaired because of unresolved guilt and unresolved issues between either them and God or them and others. But notice here it says, and forgive us our debts. Um, is it debts? Is it trespasses or is it sins? I guess it depends upon which translation you're looking at um, because you know, there, there are some translations that say, and forgive us our trespasses. That's the, the older, you know, the older, um, you know, I, I've, been, uh, I've been in places before where people would come up and they, they say, would you, uh, before you close out, would you please uh, ask everybody to stand and have them, let's all pray the Lord's Prayer together. And then they would say, and make sure you say trespasses instead of debts. Because <laughs> they, they wanted the older, older feel, older style. So is it debts, is it trespasses, or is it just sins? Which, which, word, which word would resonate with you? Sin? Okay. And, and look, there's, there's, you know, you may have your preference of word to use here, but notice, notice here, at least in, in the translation that I'm reading, sin is pictured as a debt. Now, why, why debt? 
So it pictures a debt that we need to be released from. We're, we're, we have a debt. You know, as the old song says, you know, I had a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. So, you know, whichever, whichever word that, you know, you, all of them still are, we're in trouble. <laughs> Forgive us of our debt, trespasses. And again, we, as we mentioned before, this is why a good reason for saying, not saying that this prayer is actually the Lord's prayer in the sense that this is a prayer that the Lord would pray. Because again, as, as you know, we've, we've noticed, Jesus has no debts and trespasses and sins that he has to be forgiven for. This is a, this is a disciple's prayer more than anything. Um, but I, I guess I, probably, the, the, you know, that's pretty easy to understand. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. We're going to watch a video here in just a minute that will address that. But here's, here's the thing I want to get to before we run out of time. Verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, the question here, when, when you read this and you think about it, it might cause you to think, wait a minute, is this? This sounds kind of like tit for tat. It's, it sounds like, okay, I'll forgive, and then God will forgive me. As if I'm earning, see, I'm, I'm through, 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 through that way of thinking... I forgave you, and so God's bound and determined to forgive me. And, and so, in a sense, I've, I've earned his forgiveness. Uh, and I think the best, you know, there's a number of different ways we could, we could go through this, and maybe the best way is, is Matthew chapter 18. And I, I, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. We've got about 15 minutes left, and so I don't want to take, take a, an abundance of time here, but I think reading Matthew's gospel chapter 18, the, the parable uh, of the uh, of the uh, unforgiving servant uh, might might be helpful. In fact, uh, let me let me just take a moment uh, to read through this just briefly. You know, Peter came. Lord, uh, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Uh, as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Uh, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. Now, this is bad. I mean, this is, this is about as bad as it gets here. So this servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And then it says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Glorious day. <laughs> you, you go from the, as, as worse as it can get to glorious day, debt forgiven. This is unbelievable. But then it follows, Jesus goes on. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Very small amount, very tiny amount compared to what he had owed. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. I guess so. Even just reading this now, we go, whoa. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
And should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, that, that, that account there, I guess, you know, should help. Uh, as you see, this, this, it says from your heart. See, this is about, this is about an attitude. This man's unforgiving spirit bears strong witness to the fact that he had never truly repented. This, this unforgiving one who, who had been forgiven, who his debt had been wiped away, his unforgiving spirit, his attitude, his unforgiving spirit bears strong witness to the fact that he had never repented. He has not, he has not understood the weight of his sin. He had no concept of, you know, wow, you know, hey, just a day or two ago, I had this enormous debt that I could never, ever, ever in a lifetime, a million lifetimes pay back, and I was forgiven. And now you owe me this teeny, teeny little thing in comparison. How could I possibly, how could I not possibly forgive you? (laughs) See, he had no understanding. He had no, it's clear that he had no concept of the weight of his own sin. See, we do not receive forgiveness because we forgive others, but because we have already cast ourselves on the mercy of God. So this is not about earning forgiveness, not at all. The only way we receive forgiveness and elimination of debt is through the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now, since we're talking about forgiveness here, and we, you know, a year ago, is it even a year ago, right now, we were going through a Wednesday night series on the subject of forgiveness. And I, I played a video, and it's like six minutes long. And it's like no matter how many times you talk about forgiveness, especially on a horizontal level, you know, forgive, forgiving others, that sort of thing, no matter how many times you go over it, it is one of these perennial, persistent things that we all have to deal with because, you know, we, we interact and this person hurts us and this happens and, and then we, un, we, like, should I forgive them? And, but, but, but they haven't said they're sorry and, and all these different things. And so Jeremy Pierre is a professor at Southern Seminary. I think, that the, I think he answers this issue in, in about six and a half minutes very well. And we played this last year. Some said it was helpful. I'm going to play it again tonight because, because it says here in this prayer, you know, we, you know, forgive us, Father, forgive us our debts and as we forgive those, you know, their, their debts against us, you see. And so let's watch this and see if it's helpful to you, okay? We'll be giving away free books this week, so make sure to watch to the end for details. The answer to that is both you forgive and there's a sense in which you can't forgive them. So I don't want to make it overly burdensome here. So I think there's a way to acknowledge the complexity while still keeping it relatively simple. And that's to sort of think in two categories when we talk about forgiveness. There's, there's the internal determination to forgive someone. But then there's also this sort of external relational exchange that, that requires some buy-in from the other person, some, some action on their part that, that you as an individual Christian aren't, aren't responsible for, you can't determine. And so you have to sort of view it from both angles when you're thinking about this. 
Uh, I think of Mark chapter 11, verse 25, where Jesus says, when you're standing there praying and you remember that you have something against someone, forgive them so that your Father who's also in heaven can, can forgive you your trespasses. What's interesting about the way Jesus is describing that is you have someone who's gone to worship and they're trying to interact with God. They're trying to, to, uh, to have an exchange with him that's pure. And they remember, I'm not being forgiving against someone. I am, in other words, holding what they did to me against them in a way that rejects or condemns them. To do that shows a heart that doesn't really understand the equation of just how much I'm indebted, just how much I have sinned, against God. And so that corrupts the, the exchange between God and man at that point. But, but, but Jesus's remedy is forgive him right there, forgive him. And so there's a sense in which we have to acknowledge that there's an internal requirement that I am willing, I determine to not hold that person's sin against them in a way that, that, that delights in their condemnation. But then there's this, this external sort of relational exchange aspect of forgiveness that, that requires someone to acknowledge that they need forgiveness. So, so think of forgiveness as a gift that you, that you want to give to someone, and you want to hand it over to them in exchange, but they have to value it as a gift in order to receive it. And the question is posed, what if someone's unrepentant? What if somebody doesn't want forgiveness? Well, then they don't value the gift. They're not asking for it, and they won't receive it. For instance, I've, I've counseled many uh, abuse victims that wear themselves out trying to seek reconciliation with the person who abused them when the person who abused them is not interested at all in acknowledging that they ever actually did something wrong. Or they acknowledge it in a way where it's like, yeah, I, I, sh- I, should have, I shouldn't have done that. Or, but, it, but it downplays it to such an extent where they're not seeing it as sin. They're not seeing it for the damage and the harm that it actually did. So what's, what's an abuse victim supposed to do there? Well, if they're a child of God, then God says, you forgive from your heart. And what that means is, in terms of the internal determination, it takes a miracle a miracle of grace for them to be able to extend forgiveness to someone who's harmed them like that. But if the person isn't interested in receiving the forgiveness, the abuser, then I don't think the Christian in that situation needs to wear himself out or herself out trying to work reconciliation to force the exchange of, no, I'm granting you forgiveness. I'm trying to give it to you. I'm and, and I've just seen uh, downward spirals of frustration where sort of a victim of abuse is, is having a hard time recognizing there, there's a double dose of pain here in that the reconciliation that you're wanting, the, the forgiveness that you're trying to grant is not being received. So what effect then does it have on the person wanting to be forgiving but yet not having that forgiveness received I think it results in this strange and foreign grief on behalf of that person that they're going to be condemned. That grief on behalf of another person just cuts the legs out from under any bitterness, any, any, any low-boiling anger and a sort of againstness or condemnation. 
against that person. And again, if you've ever been sinned against, and we all have, we all know that that's a miracle of grace in and of itself because that's something that God injects into the heart. That's something that his spirit makes true in the heart in a way that the heart itself is not capable of. So I, I have to mention, I've been helped in these categories of thinking by, by a book um, by Chris Bronze called Unpacking Forgiveness. And I would just, if, if anybody's struggling with, with the issues of forgiveness and trying to understand their responsibility in it and, 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 and how that relates to the way they uh, conduct themselves in the relationship, that's a great resource for that. Thanks for watching Honest Answers. You can submit your questions by email, Twitter, or in the comments section below. Helpful? Yeah. Be great <laughs> if you could take that each day and just play it. <laughs> because, I mean, eventually, you know, you may be sitting here right now and you may go, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's cool. But it's, it's, when, you know, it's when we have the conflicts that arise and, and then we start wondering, well, what's my responsibility? What do I need to do? How, how do I get through this? Uh, I, I find I find that very very helpful. Um, so I hope I hope the same for you. It, I bet I, I bet everyone in here at, at some time or another has you know, has, has has faced the, this issue, and and so that all the more all the more reason why it makes sense that Jesus would say, "Hey, pray." <laughs> no no wonder as as we you know we we could, we could probably all. Think of times, man. You know, this 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 is tough, and this this didn't work out, and this you know, tried reconciliation, all, just all that kind of stuff. So, no wonder, no wonder Jesus would say, "Hey, this need this needs to be in the prayer." You know, there's there's uh, among all the things that could have been debt forgiving, whether it's vertical or horizontal. If you'll stand, we'll uh, we'll be dismissed. Our Father, as we think about this matter of forgiveness. Would you help us to be reminded as, as frequently as necessary of the weight of our sin, the weight of our own debt? It, it seems that the unforgiving servant had lost all sight of that. May that not be the case for us. As we commune with you, as, as we read your word, as we go about our daily lives and walking with you, May we be mindful of the enormous debt that Christ took upon himself. And we trust that that will be the beginning stages for us to help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. May we go in your peace now, and uh, we thank you for speaking to us tonight. Enable us uh, with the power of your spirit to be obedient to what you've spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, everybody.